looking at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, uh, just verses 1 to 8. And we'll read that together uh, in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. I'll give you uh, just a moment to get there. I do challenge you to um, bring your Bible with you each Sunday to church. Uh, sometimes we have the Bible reading, in fact, most times we have the Bible reading up on the screen. Sometimes we don't. Uh, sometimes it may be a, a little different version, but we challenge you to bring along your Bible and uh, read it for yourself. Uh, it's so important that you be reading your Bible every day and spending time in God's Word. It's so important, even at church, that we read along together and uh, we be people committed to, uh, to studying God's Word. So I challenge you to bring that in whatever format you have it, whether it's on your phone or your iPad or your tablet or whatever, or uh, you're old like me and you've got a, a paper copy. Um, I challenge you to, um, uh, to bring your copy of God's Word and read along with us. I, I do pray that your, uh, your Bible is, is well-worn. I had a pastor friend of mine when I grew up, and he said, when you go and visit people in their homes, he said, if you want to read Scripture with them, always ask them where their Bible is and read from their own Bible because different people have their own versions, whatever, and read from something they're familiar with. And, um, but he, he did say that is if they know where their Bible is because uh, he said some people uh, kind of scrounge to find one and think, oh, there's one around here somewhere. But he used to say you can tell a lot about someone's walk uh, in faith or, or spiritual journey by uh, reading in their Bible. Now, I'm not read too much into this, uh, but uh, he said if there's one that is, uh, is well-worn or pages falling out, yeah, that's something that's probably been uh, read a lot and, uh, and, and looked at a lot. Maybe it's you know, maybe you're one who writes in or highlights or whatever. Uh, if there's one and you open it up and it goes and kind of creaks, the, the binding and stuff, maybe it hasn't been opened for a while. Um, but, or maybe you just bought a brand new one because you've worn yours out. Uh, it could be anything. Well, I want to challenge you to read your Bible every day. If you don't have a Bible, let me know and we'll get you one because it's so important that you're able to read that every day. Uh, look with me in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 8. I'll just read that now. Isaiah uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. It says, in the, king, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, the God Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Let's just pray. Heavenly God, I thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you just keep challenging us and, and working on us as we get to know you more and more. 
molding us to be more and more like you. Lord, this is your church. Help us to surrender completely to you, to willingly serve you with whatever you bless us with, and be honored and glorified, Lord, through all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During the Revolutionary War, I was going to say in America, but it wasn't even America at the time, but the Revolutionary War between what is now America and, uh, and Great Britain, General George Washington led an inexperienced group of, uh, of men, uh, of, of soldiers, who were poorly equipped. They were all civilian soldiers, and he led them in a great victory over one of the world's greatest powers. And then by 1786, uh, it was pretty obvious that this new government needed some, uh, some structure and some leadership uh, to avoid anarchy. And so the writers of the Constitution then created the office of president with General Washington in mind. And when they wrote to George Washington to uh, see if he would accept this uh, new office of president, he said if he were to accept, it would be with more diffidence and reluctance. He was a man of humility and a man of grace. And then on this day, in 1789, the electors unanimously elected Washington as the first president of the United States. Now, there's a lot to say about humility here, and there's a lot to say about being willingness to step up and, and have a go. Many are willing to step up, but without humility. Many are willing to step up and, and have a go or have the, the lights on them or to uh, be the star, so to speak, but not with humility or grace. Others are reluctant to serve and sit quietly instead of stepping up when God challenges us to serve. God has something for each of us. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve. And Jesus gives us a great example of how uh, to humbly step up and to serve. The King of Kings came here as a servant. And we are to follow his example to serve, to lay down excuses and to follow him. Isaiah here is living in a time of uncertainty. I think, uh, as I mentioned uh, previous weeks, sometimes when we look at the Bible, we tend to think oh, it's easy for them to follow God because everything is perfect all the time. It's happy all the time. It's great conditions. Isaiah wasn't living in those sort of great, happy, wonderful conditions. He was living in a difficult time, a difficult time for Israel, uh, his people who he called out to as a prophet, a difficult time for Judah in which he lived. Isaiah was serving in a time... This chapter begins in a time that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah served faithfully for 52 years as the king. He's one of their longest uh, ruling kings and a successful king. He left them uh, strong in a great time of, of blessing and success. But King Uzziah had just died after 52 years of serving as king. And Judah was still quite vulnerable to the ever-growing threat of the Assyrian army which grew to be one of the greatest powers the world has ever known. And Isaiah was called to serve in this time 
when it seemed like to Judah, where he was, that things were falling apart. This great time of blessing, this great time of success as a people may be coming to an end because King Uzziah is gone, the Assyrian army are threatening around what's going to happen. And King, uh, sorry, then Isaiah is called by God to step up. But Isaiah recognizes who God is. And he looks up and he sees God. He takes his eyes off of the temporary solution of the king, of King Uzziah, who's gone and who may be replacing him, and puts his eyes on God, the king of all. Verse 1 says, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I saw these angels who cried out as they're flying around the throne, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Not just Judah, not just Israel, the whole earth is filled with the glory of this king. He is Lord over all. And Isaiah realizes God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing, and we are safe in his hands. Now, Isaiah just doesn't automatically surrender. He recognizes his limitations, doesn't he? He realizes when he's in the face of God and he sees God's glory filling the temple... He sees how holy and perfect and, and, and blameless God is. Then he sees himself in that light. And all of a sudden, his whole life looks like filth. I don't know how many of you have just stopped and you thought about who God is. When you do this, I find I'm just I'm filled with, with awe and wonder at his majesty and his purity and his strength and his might. But then when in the light of God and his glory and his righteousness and his strength, we take time to look at us, we look pretty poor, don't we? Because all of a sudden you can go, God, why would you choose me? Why would you want me to serve you? Isaiah certainly like, Isaiah is one of God's prophets. He's preaching and teaching there. The, the people of, uh, of Judah, he's been called by God to do this. But he stands before God after he sees God's glory filling the temple and his glory filling all the earth. And he says, God, you are completely holy. You are completely perfect. I'm a man of uncleanness. Unclean lips. I live in a people of unclean lips. We say and we do the wrong thing. He's a, a speaker. And he says, I speak with impurities. I speak with unclean lips. He says, I'm not the one you want here, God. I'm not the one to stand up for you and, and speak your word, for I'm a sinful man. I have my limitations. God, you don't realize what's standing in my way. And yet, in the middle of all of this, Isaiah surrenders to God. He allows the angel, uh, God through this angel, to purify his mouth. And he allows this coal to be brought from the fire and he touches his lips and the angel says, you're purified from your sins because you've surrendered to God. This goes along with a theme that Isaiah uses throughout all of his, uh, this book of prophecy, that uh, fire is a great purifier. 
uh, of sin and uh, what brings us closer to God. But he not only he surrenders to uh, allow God to purify him and, and to cleanse him, but he also surrenders to be used by God. And that passage ends by saying, God cries out in his voice and says, in, in a strong voice saying, Whom will I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. He surrenders in verse 8 to God's call to serve. Now, we are like Isaiah. Like Isaiah, we're unclean people from a long line of unclean people. What reason do you have for not serving God? I remember when I was 16 years old, I felt a call to preach. And I was um, at a youth, uh, youth event at a local church, and I was spending some time praying. It just seemed like God wouldn't let me rest. To be honest, I was actually at um, what they call a lock-in, where the youth are supposed to be locked in the building. And uh, you're not supposed to rest. It's supposed to be like a, like a sleepover kind of stuff where no one, no one sleeps at sleepovers. So you, it's supposed to be like an all-night thing for the youth. Sounds insane, doesn't it? I don't know why youth leaders would do that. But we'd have lock-ins where you'd have all night long where you're just doing stuff with the, the teenagers. Well, I was one of those teenagers. But about 2 o'clock in the morning or so, I was getting tired, and a friend of mine and I, we snuck out, and uh, we climbed in the car in the, in the parking lot and thought we'd get some rest. And so he's out in the front, and I'm in the back, you know, laying there, and God just wouldn't let me rest. I really felt God saying to me in the clearest of voices, I want you to surrender to me. I want you to preach. Now, I'd been a Christian since I was nine. I'd given my life to Christ. I'd allow him to, to purify my heart and set, God, cleanse my sins and give my life to you. But this is very different. This is God, I felt very clearly him saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to be uh, to preach and, uh, and to pastor and to serve in this way. Now, as people tend to do, I tried to use every excuse in the world uh, to get out of it. And say, God, I, I'm too young. No one wants to, to listen to me. Then I tried, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. And then I even, God, I said, God, I, um, I prefer music. If you want to give me some more music talent, that'd be wonderful, and I'm happy to use that for you because uh, I, I love that. I love uh, the singing and, uh, and playing and things like that. I'm happy to use that for you. And God just kept on coming back to this. I want you to, um, to preach. And then I called. I thought, this will work. Uh, I thought of other pastors whose some pastors' marriages have, have fallen apart and some people's, many people's kids Pastor's kids are renowned for being rat bags, aren't they? Not mine, of course. They're wonderful. But at least when I was growing up, everyone, oh, you're a PK, like you're a pastor's kid, or you're a missionary kid, or you're one of the deacon's kids. Uh, they're the ones who just run all over the church. There's no rules for them. Well, because their dad's out talking to everybody else and not paying attention to what's going on with the kids. But I try to use all of these things as an excuse to not serve God. When I was 16, I said, God, if my marriage or my family or my life is going to look like some of those pastors I know who, um, who have served for so many years and yet their marriage has struggled or their family has struggled, 
Hey, count me out. I want nothing to do with that. If that's what serving you is like, if that's what preaching for you is like, then, then I want nothing to do with that. And Jesus kept saying to me over and over and over, I want to use you this way. But finally, I thought, oh, goodness. I went in the church, and I got the pastor, and he was kind of wondering why I wasn't in the church in the first place, uh, in the building, and I kind of explained to him my plan was to sleep. God's plan wasn't. It was to, to wake me up and to call me. And I talked with him, and I tried to give him all of my excuses that I'd just been giving to God, and he didn't roll for any of them. I said, I'm too young. He says, that's no excuse. You can still serve. If I said, I don't know about the Bible, enough about the Bible, he said, well, you'll learn. You'll, you'll read it, and you'll, uh, you'll learn. If I said, yeah, but the lives of other pastors don't turn out this well sometimes. And, and he said, you're not called to look at the other pastors. You're called to look at Jesus. Step up and serve. And uh, I did. I surrendered to, to preach. And uh, little do I know that that pastor doesn't waste any time. And so that was on a Saturday night. And that Sunday, night, Sunday morning, I was preaching in the church. Uh, I preached the first uh, sermon. And, uh, and God has richly blessed in that ever since. And it just keeps on calling me and keeps working. Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. He says this in Matthew, and he says this in Luke. Matthew chapter 16, Luke chapter 9. Anyone who wants to be my disciple, my follower, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, what does this mean? Now, some people say, well, your cross is a, a burden you have or, or, or a limitation or a failed marriage or a sickness or uh, difficulty you must endure, or persecution. That's not really what the, the Bible says, and that's not what... Uh, the understanding would have been for these disciples who are wanting to follow Jesus. The, the cross, as Jesus is saying, if you want to be a disciple of mine, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. The cross is a symbol of death. For us as Christians, we see it as a symbol of hope, a symbol of life that we have in Christ. But for the people in Jesus' time, in this New Testament time, in which Jesus said these words to his followers, the, the cross is a symbol of death. Anyone who was carrying a cross had already been destined to die, prepared by the government to, to die, and in fact was considered in the Roman world to be a non-human. You could treat someone who was carrying the cross any way you wanted because they didn't exist. They weren't a human any longer. They were destined to die. They could be mistreated. They could be abused. They could be kicked when they're down. They could be treated horribly. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, be like this. If you want to be my disciple, surrender like this. I'm sure some of his disciples said, no, no, you're a king. You're a king and a great leader, a great teacher. I want to be like that. I want to be a champion. or I want to have my name written in the lights. But a servant? Or to be stepped on or ignored? What? God, why would you call me to that? I'm expected to serve, or I'm expected to clean up what? No, I want to be at the top of the chain. And yet God calls us to be like Jesus, to surrender completely, and not just to say, God, I'll follow you when it looks like everything is going to work out for us. 
but to ask us to follow him in the times of uncertainty, when it seems like everything is falling apart, when it makes no sense to step up and say, I'm going to serve God faithfully, although it seems like everything for God is falling apart. It seems like the kingdom that God has set up has no king and has no leader. It seems like it's all falling apart. I'm going to step up and serve. God asks us to step up and to serve without limitations, without reservations, without excuses. He doesn't want us to say, God, I'll serve you if I can do this. Or, God, I'll serve you as long as you don't send me there. Or, I will be in this position as long as you don't expect this or that of me. We are expected as the people of God to surrender our whole lives to Him. That means we may not know where the money is coming from. We may not know if a relationship is going to last. We may not know if the job is going to last or if it's all going to fall apart, but we do know that we're going to be in God's hands and He will see us through and He will lead us. He will teach us how to have a good marriage. He'll teach us how to have a better family. He'll teach us more of His Word. There is no excuse that we have out there for not serving Him that's good enough. He will lead us and He will see us through and He'll protect us as we stay true to Him. We surrender to Him. Isaiah says, whoa, I'm, I'm unclean. You are perfect, but cleanse me and I'll serve you. Jesus left the glory of heaven to come here and to serve others, to wash their feet, to teach, to walk on dusty roads, into remote areas and to speak to unclean people whom the world had rejected and ultimately to die on a cross for their sins, for our sins, to be raised to life again, and to go to prepare a place for us. Jesus says, unless you're willing to let go of the pride, let go of the dreams and the plans and the hopes, let go of all that life as you see it, you cannot be a follower of Jesus. He desires surrender. Not just a, from the mouth saying, God, I, I'll follow you. He desires your heart. He desires all of your life not just part. My question to us this morning is, are you willing to serve God? Are you striving to be like Jesus? To serve? God is calling each of us to serve. No excuses. No limitations with God. Give. Surrender. Step up. Serve. 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 And follow Jesus, our Savior. We all have a part to play in this church. We all have something we can give, some way that we can serve. Some say, well, I've served for 40 years. I say, we'll serve for 40 more. Just keep going. And we all know people who go, oh, I've served my time. There's not much I can do. Things are falling apart, but I don't, I don't know what I can do. There's some people in the same church who will say, well, I'd love to serve, but I'm only little, or I'm only young, or I'm only poor, or whatever it is. God asked us to trust Him. He asked us to surrender to Him. Whatever it is that He's blessed us with, whatever it was He's given us, however He's challenging us to step up and serve, trust Him. And I pray that your answer, when God calls out to the lakes and he calls out to his church and says 
Who will ascend? Who will go for us? I pray that you would say, God, maybe you say I'm not much, but I'm here. And I want to surrender my whole life to you. I'll follow you no matter what. Because you've given your all for us. God, I want to give my life to you. Let's just pray. God, I thank you and I praise you for who you are. I thank you for your grace and your mercy, your strength and your majesty, and the way that you use all of that, Lord, to to save us, to redeem us, to heal us, and to lead us victoriously as your church. Lord, I know that sometimes it doesn't seem like the church is victorious. It doesn't seem like the church is listened to, Lord. God, help us. Help us to step up and keep serving. Whether that means emptying the rubbish bins or or preaching, or teaching, or driving a bus, or who knows what. However, God, you're asking us to serve. Help us to be willing to lay aside any excuses and to serve and to say, God, I can do this. I'm willing to do whatever you challenge me to do. We need to lay aside the limitations. Help us lay aside the the questions or the agendas or the hopes or the dreams and just fully trust in you, God. You are a great God. When we see who we are in light of who you are, God, may we be humbled at your feet. Heal us, forgive us, purify us, and use us together as your church for your service. Be honored and glorified, Lord, through all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.